0: Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here is the question today that I'm hoping to get after. Where do we go from here? I I remember that question or that sentiment being in my life the first day of freshman year of high school. You remember that first day, freshman year of high school? You walk in, you're like, where do I go from here? Right? You're terrified. I remember that in the final days of my senior year of college. Some of you are there. You're, You're heading toward jobs and employment and things are changing. You're wondering, where do I go from here? I remember in the first few weeks after Em and I got married and I thought, where do we go from here? I remember it nearly soon after the vote was here and you guys called me as your pastor, which still should be. We needed some insanity checks. Um, That was crazy. Still is crazy. But I remember sitting in that chair back there and I remember asking God, where basically do I go from here? When we first brought Riv home, Holly and Andrew, you will soon be there and you will be asking yourself, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here onward from the cross and the empty tomb is really the question that I think Matthew is trying to answer as he closes out his gospel. Because we've had this unbelievable moment of continuing throughout the gospel from the virgin birth, looking forward to John the Baptist paving the way, the promise that was made to Abraham that all descendants would be blessed, and this hope of a Savior for the Jewish people long awaited. He is here. He's preaching and teaching, and and he's doing miracles. He's raising the dead, healing the sick, multiplying food. This guy's here, and now he's died. But not only did he die, on the third day, by the power of God, he was what? He was raised again. And then the gospel seems like if we might, sometimes we have a tendency maybe to close it off there. But Matthew doesn't. Matthew adds this final chapter, Matthew 28, where he shares about the resurrection of Christ. But I think he's really also wanting to let us know the answer to the question, where do we go from here? If you've been with us, um, this is about our fourth and final message here in the book of Matthew that we've been walking. Remember, Brother Todd started us out with the disciples, right? Jesus was... Drinking and the disciples were deserting, right? Jesus was being faithful to the Father's cup of judgment that was coming. The disciples were promising they would never flee. But as Brother Todd showed us from the text, they all deserted and fled. Then we came to the reminder of Jesus' identity as the Son of God, that He was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, that He is the long-awaited Son of Man from the book of Daniel. And we saw Him there being forsaken by His Father and dying and yielding up His Spirit on the cross. Then last week we came, the moments after Jesus' death on the cross, things began to happen. You heard it, the curtain tore, the earth shook, rocks split, tombs opened, Christ was raised, the dead were raised, people saw, outcasts were testifying. It was a great Son of God moment. And then Matthew brings us here to Matthew 28 as he closes out the final four verses of his gospel. Answering the question, where do we go from here? Onward from the cross and the empty tomb to make disciples of all nations. So let's walk with Matthew this morning as he answers. The first thing that I want you guys to see as we begin to look at this perspective of taking the gospel to our community. As Brother Todd was leading us and ultimately looking forward toward the nations. We need to answer an important question. Are we worthy of even such a calling? Are we worthy of it? And listen to what happens. A beautiful moment. Again, there's there's going to be about five or six things I want to throw at you. First is our worthiness, right? I'm going to try to answer that question. Look what it says here, beginning of verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the what? Eleven. Eleven. How many disciples were there? Somebody's missing. Might I ask, would you be missing? Might I ask you a question that I've been having to challenge myself? Who in your row or sitting around you or used to be in your Sunday school class or used to attend this church around you might be missing? This is a moment, a perilous moment, a moment of great fear that should warn all of us the great danger of walking away because who's missing? Judas. The one who betrayed him has now hung himself and he has stepped out of the picture. It is a moment in which we began to recognize the great danger of not remaining faithful, the great danger that we all have to slip away or step away. And so what I want you to remind you, though, when we come to this here in this moment, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, it says, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. But what happens? But some what? Some doubted, didn't they? In John chapter... 20 verse 25 we hear of one who doubted do you remember we even know him by that name doubting who thomas right he said lord unless i see the marks what in your hand and the pierced side right i will not what i won't believe i'm not going to believe and so here it is in this moment we have 11 disciples and some are worshiping but some are still doubting now, we're not really sure exactly what all the doubting is about. It's possible from the text that it indicates there's a hesitation, that they just aren't sure. And, and maybe you say, well, why aren't they sure, Blake? But imagine this. You grow up, right, worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. You know that the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shall have no what? No other gods before me. Now, you are going to step away from monotheism, right, worshiping one God and worship someone else, unless... This someone else is also God. In this moment, they are dealing with everything they've ever known. And this one that died is now back to life. And there is some questions, some doubting. And in fact, there's one of them that is even missing. I would say from the very beginning, again, our worthiness, guys, isn't the fact that going to make disciples means we have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that you've got every answer to every objection of the gospel. It doesn't mean that you've now arrived that you know everything about the Bible. It doesn't mean that your life is somehow now perfect and you've now qualified to be able to tell someone else about Jesus. In fact, we see that these guys are still struggling, and yet it's to these very people that the commission is given to go and make disciples. So I want to remind you and myself, That our worthiness does not come from us, but indeed comes from Him. The worthiness to carry out the gospel and take it to your family, this community, and ultimately to the nations, is not in your and my strength, but in Christ alone. Let us rest there today that He alone is the one that's made us worthy. And let us be careful if we think for some reason that we ourselves are good, we're the only one that can do it, right? Of course I can tell people about Jesus. Of course I can go to the nations. Of course I can... Be careful. Our worthiness is only in him. So there they are, the eleven, and then he picks up. So knowing our worthiness, second thing I want you to see today is our authority. Look what happens here. Begin in verse eighteen of Matthew twenty eight. And Jesus came and said to them, look what he tells them, he says, This is interesting this word here, all he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been look what he says here about it. He says it's let's maybe mark it this way. It has been given to me, right? All authority in heaven and earth indicates that Jesus truly is the Son of God, right? I mean, he—he's he's the answer in the question we asked that that moment: Is he the Son of God? Is he indeed that Son of Man? And Jesus is saying, "I am. I have all authority in heaven and on earth, right? In fact, all his authority is going to be our authority. We're going to see that in a moment." Right, that, that we are called to do it. Now, if you look, depending upon your translation, you're going to see several all's throughout this, these, these last few verses. Jesus is going to say here that he has all authority. And in a moment, he's going to say that we're go all nations. And then he's going to say that we are to teach all things. And then he's going to tell us at the very end of verse 20, he's going to be with you all the days. Continually, again, depending on your translation, how it follows the original text. But literally, in each of those, all is being used. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I want you to know, you may be wondering, you may be doubting, but I want you to know that I am the long-awaited one, the one that you've looked for, back to Daniel chapter 7. So watch this, this is really, really cool. Again, um, Jesus, how he pulls from Daniel chapter 7 to say, I'm the fulfillment. This is one of the great passages of the Old Testament. Look what it says. Daniel has this vision, verse 13 of Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a, look what he calls there, son of man. Jesus has already called himself. Remember back there when he was questioned by the high priest, he will be like the Son of Man. He says, you'll you'll see me seated at the right hand of the Father, at the hand of power, and I will be coming on the clouds of heaven. Right? Jesus has already said that he is that. Now by his resurrection, he is proving it is indeed true. There came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? God the, the Father, right? He comes to the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him, look at this, this is very interesting, to him was what? Was given dominion and glory. Look what it says there. Again, was given. What Jesus say he had been given? He'd been given all authority in heaven and earth, right? He's the same one. He's saying, listen, guys, that promise of that son of man who came before the ancient days, God the Father, and it was given to him dominion and glory, this everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will never end. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that's who I am. And that authority that I have, I'm now commissioning and calling you. Look what he says here. This is beautiful. He says, it's a glory and a kingdom. Look what he says, though, Watch like this. That, watch, all. All who? All peoples, all nations, all languages should, right? Again, they should do something. What, what is the reason why? Right. Why was he given? He says, I want you to know why the ancient of days gave him this dominion and authority. It's that all people all nations, all languages, all colors, all people from all walks of life, rich, poor, red, black, white, everybody, they might come. Look, he says that they should what? That they should serve, that they should worship this God's Brother Jason was praying earlier this morning that we should worship and praise him. Right. I mean, this is looking forward saying, listen, guys, I want you to know I have come that all might ultimately worship and serve me because I am gentle and humble at heart. I'm worthy of it. Look, he says, he says his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Right. Everything leads there. This authority, right? Jesus is going to say in just a moment, you're going to we'll pull it up. I'll show it to you here. Just watch this. So he says again, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he makes this statement, go there for. The therefore, right, is in response to the fact that he has all authority in heaven and earth. He says, listen, I want you to know the reason why I'm calling you to go is because I have authority to do that. right? I am your CEO. I'm your commanding officer. I am the one that's calling you to go. And you would say, well, I'm not sure I want to follow one. Remember who he is. He's not simply someone that just says, go do this, do that. He is one that says, I love you this much. You're not serving some wicked boss. You are serving the humble servant of God who gave his life for you. Therefore, he says, go. I want to warn you today, beloved, of a text that I read this morning in my reading. It was in Luke chapter 12, verse 47. It's uh, maybe as if, I don't know if you've ever had like um, medication or different things you've taken. You've seen like the warning label of all these different things. Like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure it's even worth, right? right? Maybe my symptoms aren't even as bad as what might happen, right? I want to warn you and be up front with you about where this message today is going to take you. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus says, for the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready and does not act will be beaten severely. For our vernacular, this is a Peter Parker moment. I don't know if you've ever seen the Spider-Man, right? Where he gets like to jump out of the library and he's there with his grandfather in the car and the grandfather looks over and at him and says, with great power comes great what? Responsibility. Jesus says, listen, guys, I want you to know what I'm calling you to do. But the warning is this. If you just simply, as James chapter one says, go and do the word, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So what? Deceiving yourselves. Don't merely hear this word today and say, that's good. That's great. No, he says, listen, you must do it. And if you don't, you've been warned. Jesus says there's severe judgment coming. Remember who I am. I have all authority in heaven and earth. So again, guys, there is this grace and mercy that surrounds us. But also we must remember who our God is. That we not turn our back on him. or we not take this command or commission lightly. So he says, listen, guys, go therefore. Right? The empowerment is always rooted in Jesus' authority and not ours. Our going is because he has called us to go. Can you imagine a day? Let's imagine that about a month ago, Billy Graham called you to his place and, and you came, and you sit down with Billy Graham. He says, Listen, my time is getting ready to finish. I'm getting ready to leave this earth. Just as Moses I've been reading about it in Deuteronomy. That's what he does to Joshua. He passes the baton. And Billy Graham says to you, Listen, my ministry here is this time has come. But God has has told me that you are the one to now take and lead. And I'm passing the baton on to you. Could you imagine what you would feel like in that moment? Like, whoa, Billy Graham, I mean Billy Graham. You're, there's no. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's one greater than Billy Graham here. There's one who has all authority in heaven and earth. And he says, go, therefore, he is handing the baton to you. You're asking the question, where do we go from here? And the master, the king of kings, the one who was victorious over death and the cross is saying to us, go, therefore, to all nations making Disciples. So, what is our mission? Listen to how he answers then. Hear our mission. Go, therefore, he says, verse 19 of Matthew 28, and make disciples. Look at that call in there. Make disciples. The make disciples is imperative, right? It's the centerpiece of the entirety of this text. You're going to see about three other participles that are helping to function alongside that. You're going to hear about going, baptizing, and teaching. But the central point of the text is making disciples. And that's what Jesus is after. This past week, I was um, reading through and I was in the book of Psalms as part of my reading is each day. And I came to Psalm 78, verse 5, and I came to this reminder of why discipleship is so important. And I want to show it to you just for a moment. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 5, he says, He, speaking of this is God the Father, established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded. So there's a testimony, there's a law, right? This is God speaking. He commanded, right? So God gave the command, just as Jesus has given us the command. He commanded our fathers to do what? To teach their children. The call is to teach. So what I would tell you and I is discipleship is not new. In fact, it's 2,000 years old. My assumption is nobody's wearing 2,000 years old clothes here. Most of you probably don't live in a 2,000 year old house. You don't drive a 2,000 year old car. Discipleship is old, guys. It's not something new that you're hearing. Jesus has said it back there in, in roughly 2000 BC or 2000 years ago, around 30 some BC, saying that or AD, sorry, 30 AD. This is thousands of years prior to that. The discipleship was the expectation of God's people to teach them. Look what he says. They're children. And you say, well, why, Blake? Why is it so important? Look what he says here. He tells you that. Why? Why would we do this? What he says that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and rise and tell them to their children. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know the reason why you're going to teach your children. Ultimately, he's talking about the community of faith here. Why you're going to teach and make disciples is so that they might know them. And not only them, this is about the generations to come. Some of you are thinking about your legacy and what will happen for those that will come after you. The Bible says the greatest thing that you can do for your family and the legacy of those generations that you may not even live to see is to make disciples. You say, "Well, Blake, again, I'm not sure I'm still convinced." Well, look what he says further. Again, we have a big so that there in verse 7. You want to know why furthermore you should be doing this? Listen, I want to give you three specific reasons. So that, look what he says here. This is so beautiful, guys. They should set their hope in who Can you imagine today if you could walk away from your family, the people that you love and care about, and they would have their hopes set in God? The Bible says if that is to happen, you are to teach them. You are to make disciples. Secondly, look at this. They would not forget what? The works of God. I wonder today, if your life was the end, who do you most worry about in your family, on your job, those that you love and care about, that might quickly forget and turn their back on God? Guys, the response is not to wait until that moment. The response is to teach today. It's the disciple now while you're here to teach them the word of God, to bring the word of God before them. Again, this is our mission. And look what he says thirdly there. But keep his commandments right. I mean, this is call. Right? Can you imagine that your children would keep the commandments of God long after they're gone out of your presence? Can you imagine that long after those children you've had in Sunday school or the people that you're discipling or pouring in in your community or your job, or maybe they meet in your home, that long after they're gone from your presence, they are not forgetting God, they're still hoping in Him, and they are keeping His Word. You say, Blake, I would love that. The Bible says if that is to be so, you are to make disciples. And if you're not convinced, then I give you one last warning from this text, verse 8 of Psalm 78. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. He warns that if we fail to make disciples, we are setting up our children and those believers and others who will follow after us for rebellion and to not remain faithful. Brothers and sisters, this is a great warning. This is the very word of God compelling grandparents here today to start discipling in your homes, moms and dads to start discipling in your homes. For some of you to meet early at work and start discipling people on your job, it is to meet in dorm rooms and houses and to start discipling. This is it, brothers and sisters. That's the warning if we neglect it. And you say, well, listen, look what how serious it is back, back to Matthew 28. Go therefore, he says, and make disciples of who? Of all nations, guys. Of all nations. Now, it's interesting, the all nations is used back in Matthew 25, verse 32, and the nations there are spoken of. It's in a passage of judgment. The compelling reason or one of the absolute compelling reasons why we would go and take the gospel to the nations is because they're under judgment. They will come under judgment. Why? Because they're sinners like we are. Do you see it? If people that never heard the gospel die and they go to heaven because they've never heard, then we're doing the absolute worst thing we could ever do by taking the gospel to them because now we've allowed them to know and now they can become guilty before God. Do you see it? Right. So if people that have never heard the gospel again, if they die and they get to go to heaven because they've not heard, then the worst thing the church could ever do is take the gospel to someone because then they could hear the gospel and refuse it and now be guilty before God. The Bible is clear. The wages of sin is what? That's for everyone. Brothers and sisters, again, we love to hear the good story. We love to celebrate Easter, his death and resurrection. But guys, we must take this gospel to people. This gospel must go to your homes, to your schools, to your community and to the nations. That's what Jesus command is. Go therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations. So we've heard about our worthiness, our authority and our mission. Now listen to our calling. He says literally, again, I shared with you the root or the, the central place is making disciples. All right. And so look what he says here. He says three main things Verses go. Literally maybe going, right? But we need to continue to take the gospel going. I want to show one example with you from the Joshua Project. This is the largest unreached people group on the face of the earth. They are the Kurds, the Turkish-speaking people there in Turkey. Over six million people with basically zero gospel presence. They define unreached or the least reached people as a people group among who there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Someone must go. Someone's must go. You may very well be experiencing the call of God to leave and go. Brothers and sisters, listen, we are going is times. It's times when we physically put our feet on the ground. There's times when our going is involved in prayer. There's time when our going is giving to, to Annie Armstrong or Lottie Moon or other people as they go. Absolutely. But I'm compelling you today to consider and pray about going. I want to make a public confession. I've been deeply convicted and struggling with the lack of salvation that we see in our church. Questioning myself and many things. And the Lord brought me under conviction over this, how little I share the gospel outside these walls. He said, Blake, you're so tore up about salvation, and yet there's a vast, 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 vast majority of people that will never, ever walk through this building, and yet you're sharing the gospel so little. I don't know about you, but if, maybe if I ask you a question, when's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time maybe you spent a few days or a week on some type of mission where you intentionally took the gospel to people. Right? And we, we are more than the Red Cross. We're more than humanitarian aid. Praise God for those, those moments. Praise God for the acts of service and things we can do. But brothers and sisters, if we take not the gospel, they are still damned and condemned before God. They need the good news of the gospel. So maybe today, as you hear this, and you're struggling to answer some of these questions like I am, how often I'm sharing the gospel, Am I taking the gospel to my community and the nations? I compel you and myself to repent and revisit the great commission. Look what else he says here. Not only are we going, again, this thrust of making disciples of all nations. The second thing that we are told to do about making disciples is baptizing. Look what he says about this. This baptizing is in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. My assumption is, for many of us, myself included... If we didn't have something in the commentary or we didn't know the original languages, we would not know that the name is singular here. You're not baptized into the name of the Father and then a name of a Son and then the name of the Holy Spirit. It is name singular. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit it is one of the greatest Trinitarian uh, proclamations we have in the entirety of the Gospel. You are baptized into one name. There is but one God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one. This is saying, listen guys, I want you to know they are baptizing. This is the, the identification as a disciple. What's happening in their baptism? They're being buried with Christ. They're leaving their old way of life. It's a call out of darkness and into the light. Not in the power of their own self, right? Because if we could have done it, we'd already be doing it by now. We are dying to ourselves and it's the power of God that is raising us up to go and to feel this call to make Disciples. It'll be all back. Um, my oldest was uh, here and sharing about his interest in salvation, and we began to talk about it that Sunday night after. And somebody tell me, "Why do you want to be saved?" And he says, "Well, Dad, I want to live forever." And I was like, "Bro, that's that's awesome." But do you realize that there's also Jesus calling to leave our life of sin, to recognize that our life does not honor God. This this word repentance to leave it and to die to ourselves and come follow Him. I realize, man, we all grow in that. It's not perfect knowledge. not perfect understanding. i not saying that. But there's a recognition of our sin and separation before God. There is a desire birthed from the Holy Spirit and the Word of the Gospel that we would no longer live that way. And I said, buddy, do you desire to do that? Do you desire to begin obeying Mommy and Daddy to show love and kindness to your brothers? Do you recognize your sin separated? No, Daddy. Now I could bring him before you. He could answer every single question. But brothers and sisters, we all know that if we have not truly repented and believed and received the Holy Spirit, there is no empowerment to live this out. You will be flying Lone Ranger. The empowerment is through the Spirit of God. And so, listen, it is a time in which I'm going to invite you in a moment, parents, as we discern and try to decipher and walk beside our children and those that God sends our church to disciple. It's hard at times to know for sure. So I want to invite you in a moment just to begin come praying, saying, God, please, something I pray every day, make it undeniable. When that time comes for my children, please, God, make it undeniable. Please, God, please. Why? Because this baptism, guys, is a one-time thing. It's an identification with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. I wonder, as you think about your family, as you think about the church and the world, could I ask you maybe a practical question? In your family, among your friends, at your place of work, on your team, in your classroom, where you eat. Who there has been baptized? And I had to ask my question to myself, and there's lots of those that I can't answer. And so I just simply wrote this. If we don't know, it means that we haven't thought it was important enough to ask. If you're struggling to answer these questions then I compel you to repent and revisit the Great Commission. The final thing that we hear, again, about this making disciples, it's not only about going and baptizing. Listen, there's the danger of us thinking that once we baptize someone, that's the end. That's absolutely not the end. Baptism is indeed a one-time thing. Identification with Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection in response to the gospel. But teaching is ongoing. So if your children have been baptized and they've made a public profession of faith, don't think that's the end. Those that God has raised up in this church and they've made a profession of faith, that's not the end, guys. Baptism is but the beginning. Discipleship is ongoing. It is continually to teach them what? He says to observe all that I've commanded you, to continually teach and instruct and to show them what God has called them to do. Again, you may be thinking, well, Blake, how might I, in these different groups, teach? Well, maybe I'll just share with you how it looks at my house. We've been working book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We started in John, made it through Acts, and now we're into Romans. Listen, sometimes we cover four or five verses. Sometimes it's barely even a verse. The goal is not to get finished. It is to teach and instruct to the best of our ability. Can I tell you this, and M would it confess to it too? There's times that we've been reading that we don't have any clue what it's saying. That's bad as a preacher, but I don't. And I think about how in the world could I explain this truth, especially as you walk into Romans. There's some deep, deep teaching there. How do I explain this to a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old when my little mind here is struggling to grasp it as well? So my point, again, is don't think that I'll just start discipling my children. I'll start discipling others. I'll start teaching that classic church. I'll invite other friends around me into my home once I figure everything out. Guys, that day will never come. Stop waiting. One of the greatest things that's happened with us is our kids see us wrestle. Dad doesn't know the answer. Mom doesn't know the answer. We're going to keep looking deeper, deeper, dipper. We're going to dip. Yeah, we're going to dip that too. And it's going to be a reminder, guys, that we walk by what? Faith and not by what? Sight. There's times when I don't know. I don't understand, especially there in Romans. It is some deep, deep water. So I would encourage you, again, is it going to be perfect? No. Are there days that we miss it? Absolutely. I'm saying like we don't even do it. I'm owning up to it. But I want to call you guys, if you are going to make disciples, there must be going, there must be baptizing, and there must be continual teaching. So I want to ask you from this group here, who on a daily or weekly basis are you spending time with in the Word, discipling? If you struggle to answer that question, I compel you to repent and revisit the Great Commission. You say, Blake, that's all well and good, but dude, I just I'm not cut out for that. This is just way above my pay grade. Then might I finish with some absolutely beautiful words of encouragement to you and me? Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is the last words of Matthew's gospel, verse twenty of Matthew eighteen or Matthew twenty eight. And behold, I am with who? You win. Always. I'm with you always. You may think you could never ever do this, and you are absolutely right, but you're not alone. The Spirit of God indwells you. Christ I am with you always. Hebrews 13 and 5 says that, listen, I will never leave you, nor once forsake you. The empowerment is not in you, mom or dad, coworker, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, neighbor, friend. The power is in Christ. And listen, he says, "I am with you always to the end of the age. So today, if you're struggling to witness, remember he is with you always. If today you are struggling to disciple those around you, remember He is with you always. If you are struggling today to press on and to keep the faith and to keep moving forward, remember He is with you always. Today, if you are struggling to pray, remember He is with you always. Today, if you are struggling to love your neighbor as yourself and to pray, And to care about your enemies. And to pray for those who persecute you. Remember, beloved, He is with you always. If today this gospel has pricked your heart. And God is moving you to go to this community. And ultimately to the nations. And you're not sure what that looks like to leave your family. To leave Greensburg, KY. I compel you, brothers and sisters, to remember He is with you always. always. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ. Man, your word is good, God. It is unbelievable. And if we were left to ourselves, I would say that there is absolutely no hope that I will ever be able to get it right, nor any of these people. We will be helpless and hopeless. But there is the resurrection. There is, because of Christ's death for our sins, we are now made clean. And therefore, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are not orphans here. we just saying it. We are your children, indwelt by your spirit, that Christ is with us always. So, Father, the strength to live this out today is not in us, but it's in you. So, Father, today I pray that our people would leave so hopeful and so encouraged because of who you are. Not because of their gifts, abilities, or how great it's gone, or maybe how bad it's gone in the last weeks, months, or years. That today their hope would be set securely and firmly in Christ alone. Father, we confess that maybe we haven't been as faithful as we need to be with our family, to this community, ultimately to the nations. Father, I repent of that in my own life. I just, I own it, God. I pray that you would forgive us. But not only forgive me, God, I want to be changed. I'm asking that you would change my heart. Give me boldness when I'm afraid. Give me strength, God, when I don't have the courage. I just, I know I need to say something to that group of guys or that person or... Stop on the side of the road. And I'm always all these reasons why. Father, forgive me of that. And just give me your boldness. Give me your strength. Let me not be disobedient. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters. I don't know what their stories look like. But if it looks like mine, they've got things that they haven't got right either. But just change this guy. I love you, Lord. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I I want to be specific. Three different invitations. Maybe you're struggling with going. And you've heard the gospel today and God's calling you to go. That going may be to your family. It may be into this community. and It may be to the nations. I want to invite you right now. Let's just come. and Let's just pray for God's strength, not our own. Would you come. Maybe God's just been pricking your heart. You know that you are called to go and do more. And you haven't. And you're just owning it today. You're saying, God, I'm coming. I'm repenting. Saying, Lord, forgive me. So I invite you. Come on now. For those that are baptism. And you've got maybe children or grandchildren or you yourself and you're not sure about where you stand with Christ or what's going on. I want to invite you to come and say, God, you know the hearts of everyone. Would you just make things clear? Would you give us wisdom as parents, as a church, as a Sunday school teacher with small children, God, as a wanna worker, Lord, as a disciple kids in my classroom as a teacher? I know I'm not supposed to say anything, but God, you're just at work and you're bringing out conversations. Sometimes I don't even know what to do, but God, I want to point them to you. So, Lord, I'm just coming today asking for more strength, more courage to make disciples and to compel them to be baptized and follow you? Have you done that?